0: Together. Now, so many of you have been emailing in and asking me to explain the evolutionary history of the Homo sapiens species, so I thought I would go ahead and do that for you this morning. Sounds good? Now, there's a difference between hominins and hominids, which I know that you all know. Hominids are the great apes, which we are a part of. That's like orangutans, gorillas, chimpanzees, and the the genealogical line that we're a part of. There's also hominins, which they did not teach you in in Bible class when you were growing up. But at the same time that there were homo sapiens on planet Earth, there was also six other humanoid-type species who were on the planet with us. Talk about a good time. Right, there was Neanderthals, which many of you know, and if you've done 26 in me, what's it called? That too, right, 26, you'd be a whole other animal, this is my point. Then you know, you have a little bit of Neanderthal in you, maybe you have the Davosians in you, maybe you have a small little group of people that were in Australia, the point is there was a lot of human beings on this planet at the same time who were not Homo sapiens, which is wild to think about and very modern information. Now, there's a lot of scientists who ask the questions, why is it that Homo sapiens, that we're the only species that survived, and how come other humanoid-type creatures like Neanderthals are not here today? Now, we've done a lot of research around this. Was it mass extinction? Did it have something to do that we killed them all off? And one of the best ideas that we have is that human beings have the capacity for imagination and to tell stories. Because we have language and the capacity to tell stories, we could organize ourselves differently than Neanderthals or other groups. And because of that, we never saw Neanderthal groups get more than 200 people. But with Homo sapiens, we have the ability through storytelling to organize ourselves in hundreds, thousands, millions, and billions of people if we buy into an idea or if we buy into a story. I know you're all so excited for this on a Sunday morning. The point of it is this, that as Homo sapiens, the consciousness that we have, there is something about us that loves the capacity to tell stories. And it is stories that shape us. The big idea today is that we are all the byproducts of the stories that we tell ourselves. We are the byproducts of the stories that we tell ourselves. There is a story out there that we agree to in some way, shape, or form. We are all agreeing to the story of capitalism, whether you like it or not. Whether you are Buddhist or Jewish or Christian or Muslim or agnostic, you are buying into the story of capitalism. Because unfortunately, you cannot pay your rent with hugs yet. And so unless we're going to start trading seashells. We agree that this money means something, and it's an imaginary tale that we've agreed to so that it works. And so the thing that we ask ourselves is what are the other stories that we're telling ourselves and what is the byproduct of those stories and how can we reimagine those stories? And what I'm most interested in is the way that Jesus told stories. That Jesus is inviting us to a place to change our mind about who God is. I use this quote in here all the time. I'm going to use it a thousand more times from Richard Rohr that Jesus did not come so that you would change, so that God would change God's mind about you. Jesus came so that you would change your mind about God. And so, if we're gonna talk about stories, we're gonna talk about some things. We already talked about hominids and hominins, which I know that you're all gonna research later, you're welcome. If we can do that, then we're gonna talk about some limiting voices. If we can understand limiting voices, then dukkha and sukkha, my friends. And if we can talk about dukkha and sukha, then we can talk about this idea of being worthy. And if we can talk about what it means to be worthy, then we can talk about wanting what you already have. And if we can do that, then we'll talk about the great Howard Thurman, who was the theologian who inspired Dr. King. And if we can talk about Howard Thurman, well, then, of course, Kobe Bryant on a Sunday morning. Follow along with me in Luke chapter 15. Jesus shares this story. Jesus continued on because he had just told some stories about finding a lost coin and finding a lost sheep. And Jesus is in the middle of his ministry telling stories about who God is. And Jesus goes on with this. It says, there was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your child. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your child. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, let's have some carne asada and medello and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. But meanwhile... But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. What I love about the stories, that there are stories within the stories, that each character is telling themselves a story about who they are. That there's limiting voices in each of the characters because there's limiting voices in each of our lives. Narratives that we tell ourselves and that we can be so certain about the narratives that we tell ourselves that we begin to take action because of the stories that are in our mind. For the younger son, it was this reality that something must have been going on because in the ancient Jewish culture that if you were a son and you asked your father for your inheritance, it was the same thing as saying to your parent, I wish you were dead. So there's a narrative going on that somewhere out there, the grass is greener, there's something better for me. If only I could have that, then I could be happy because the things in my life aren't currently working for me. Have any of you been there? There was a limiting voice that if only I could control my outcomes, if only I could control my future, if only I didn't have to live under this person's narrative, then I could live the life that I want to live. And then there's the older son. There's a story of, you've never fully seen me. You've never fully celebrated me. I've done all of the right things. I'm trying to live in perfection. Why can't you see me for who I am? Have you been there? And then there's a narrative that I think lives in all of us. The narrative that things are going wrong, narratives that we have with ourselves, narratives that we have with other people, narratives I think that we often have with God of, I'm not worthy I did all of these things over here, and so now I have to write the script, and if I can say it in just the right way, then maybe I can begin to love myself. Maybe if I can just say it in the right way, then maybe God will love me, and we prep ourselves, and we get all ready, and this is the last time. I'm never gonna do that thing again. I'm never gonna hit rock bottom. That's not gonna be me. I'm gonna change this time. Seriously, this is the last time. I can't go back to that. No, I'm finally standing up for myself, whatever the version may be, but you just don't feel worthy. Maybe you feel bad. Maybe you feel shame. Maybe you feel guilt. And the beautiful part of the story that Jesus offers us is that the son prepares the script and runs to the father and has all the things to say. And father, I'm not worthy to be your child and all the stuff. And the father doesn't even respond to any of that stuff. All that the father responds to is this reality that I'm just here to celebrate you. You have been running wild with these limited narratives and stories in your head. But what if God has a bigger story for you the entire time? What if you've limited yourself and what you can do and who you can be and the life that you can live and you have all the scripts written out of why it's going this way? And what if God's saying, no, no, what if I just have a bigger vision for the whole thing in the first place? And if you could see yourself as I see you, maybe your life would look different. I think that's what Jesus invites us into. I think limiting voices are real. I think all of us limit ourselves with some story in some way, shape, or form. I'll list off just about 100 of them for you, real quick, of my own life. How many of you live in financial insecurity? Man, I don't think I can make it here. Man, I don't think I have enough. Man, if only I had that job. If I had just a little bit more money. Man, Los Angeles is tough. What if we went back from where we came from? God, this is so scary. Any of those voices ever in your head? And if I just had that amount, which we never named the amount, by the way. And if I could get to that, then my life would be okay. But we don't actually know what that thing is. And we're just living in illusions of what success may look like. Man, I can't think of a day that's gone by over the last year, uh, last year. I can't think of a day that has gone by in my life where I don't get out of the shower and look at my body and have something that I do not like. It's called body dysmorphia. Every single day, there's something that I don't enjoy. This isn't okay, talking to my wife about it. Oh, what did this picture look like? Oh my gosh, look at that thing. Did I have four double chins in that one? There's always something where I'm not pleased with myself. Man, the limiting voices that I have of my mom or dad just didn't do that to me. Man, if they would only treated me differently. If it wasn't for my family of origin, I would be so much further right now. If it wasn't because of their decisions and their choices, this is where my life could be. It was the limiting voices of if that person didn't molest me, if they didn't take that thing from me, if I wasn't a victim to them, then I wouldn't be a sex addict today. Then I wouldn't be going through recovery in the same way. Then I would have control over my stuff. We all have voices in our head that shape who we are. And I think what Jesus invites us to is a bigger story of, what if those voices don't have to rule you? What if those voices don't have to be in control? What if there's a bigger story out there for you, and that's the voice that you actually listen to? In Buddhism, the first principle deals with suffering. The reality for the Buddha was this, is that every human being just suffers. And the sooner you accept that reality, the sooner that you can begin to deal with it in a different way. You can be a victim to suffering your whole life. That is the way and perspective and mindset that you can absolutely choose if you want to. Or you can come to a realization that suffering is a part of the human existence and maybe God has something for us in there. For many evangelicals, what we were taught is that Jesus went to the cross for you and now Jesus is going to magically sprinkle pixie dust all over your life. And if you say the right words and say the right prayer and do the quiet time and not think about a boob or whatever you're supposed to do as an adolescent, then God will be happy with you and things will work out until they do not. And you have to deal with suffering in a different way. But as many of us have evolved and grown and deconstructed and reconstructed and asked bigger stories, we recognize this, that Jesus didn't come to suffer for me because I am wrong and need to be fixed and I'm horrible and he's going to take it all away. No, Jesus invited me to follow him, to be a student of him, to be an apprentice of his way, and Jesus died to suffer with me. To show me a different way of suffering. That suffering, that betrayal, that pain. That even Jesus on the cross says the most true human words any of us have ever said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even you? And how many of us have looked up to the heavens and said WTF a few times? God, I can't believe I'm going through this. God, I can't believe that they would do this thing to me. But what if it's all about how we look at the story? What if it's not a story of, oh, gosh, now it's me. Oh, gosh, that person gets to take something from me. What if it's a version of the story of, like, this is a part of my story? I don't wish this upon anybody, by the way, but it is a part of my story. And so in Buddhism, there's something called dukkha, and there's something something called sukkha. And it's all about this idea that you're going down a road, and that your mind is just the axle to the wheels on the path that you are going down. And dukkha is this idea that the road is bumpy. But the Buddha and the Dalai Lama and some of the great sages of the East will say this, the bumpy road is all your interpretation. You get to choose what you make of that pothole. You get to choose what you make of that bump. No one else will choose that for you. Your story can be, Corey, that that person took something for you and that's why you're a sex addict today. But at some point, I have to be a 38-year-old grown man and say, I'm not going to let them have power over my story anymore. This is now my life. I can do all of the therapy I want for my mom, but it is not her fault for the choices that I make today. I can live with that victim mindset and I can live with it because I've been a real victim, but that victimhood is not helping me in my perspective on life. It is not giving me freedom. So why would I choose it? And then there's another story. You can choose suka. I could go over that same speed bump and say, Man, they're just bumps in the road. And suka just means it's a smooth path. I choose to determine what the smooth path is. If I think that smoothness means perfection, you are constantly going to be disappointed. If you think smoothness means nothing goes wrong, then you have a story of humanity that will not work out for you. What I love about the honesty of this story is that Jesus is saying, sometimes you're just there. Sometimes you just have the fuckets. And you're like, give me the inheritance and I wanna go do some wild living. And it's not... The story is not, and God was so ashamed and so mad that you had those things, and you made all of these bad decisions, and now your life will never be the same. You know what the father did? Take your inheritance and tell me how it works out for you. And then when you came back, the father just wants to celebrate you. This is not saying that there's not consequences. There are, of course, consequences to our choices in life, but it is saying that consequences and suffering and difficulty are just baked into the narrative, And we can choose to be upset about those things or we can choose to accept those things and live our lives in a different way. The question that we all ask for ourselves are what are the limiting voices that are shaping me right now? Where am I giving my power away to other human beings? Where is it no longer my narrative, but where is somebody else taking my narrative and they're holding me hostage? Probably the truth of it, where am I holding myself hostage in this narrative about who I am and what I'm doing? What's so powerful in the story is that there's this idea of worthiness that comes up. I think for so many of us, it's the deeper realities of what it means to be human. That for so many of us in the West, especially, we would live with narratives of shame. For so many of us in the world of church, the narrative that you're holding on to is a narrative of shame. That there is an angry God out there who is mad at you because a belly buttonless man and woman in a garden listened to a snake. And because of them, you are all screwed, my friends. And God's entire narrative is to fix that problem. And God is happy with you when you say the prayer the right way. Except when you do something wrong again, then you need to fully repent for that and fully confess. And if you don't fully confess, all of the things, there might be a little something left. And then if God comes in the rapture, well, you know, tribulation. Anybody have that narrative? Talk about a good time. We have all of these narratives of God that we need to unwind that we need to unwind the shame and the guilt of what we've been thinking about even who God is. And when we can recognize that our story starts really when we can let go of are we unworthy and when we can begin to realize that all of the stories that Jesus is telling is trying to remind you that you've been worthy the whole time. That's your starting place. So many of us will spend years in therapy uncovering all of the stuff that makes us unworthy and it's worthwhile to do that. But eventually you need to move to a place to say, I can no longer let these narratives rule me. I need to live from a place that I am good, that I am made in the image of God, and that I'm worthy exactly where I'm at and exactly for who I am and exactly what's going on in my life. That doesn't mean there's not mistakes. That doesn't mean there's not failures. That doesn't mean there's not a bunch of other things, but I'm just here today. And what if God accepts your reality of where you are at today? What if God celebrates exactly where you're at today? And how do you know that? You're here. That's the proof in the pudding. And so God invites us into a story where we're reminded that we're worthy. And think about all of the stories of Jesus. Oh, there's a man with thousands of demons in him and no one wants to go near him. And Jesus literally breaks those chains, right? Jesus literally casts out all those demons. He goes to a person that thinks that they're unworthy and reminds them that they're worthy. For all of the systematic issues in the world, Jesus has tons of stories about people in Samaria, the other group of people, those people, them, they, we all have a language for that somewhere in our life. And Jesus says, even they are worthy. And I'm not just gonna tell you about that. I'm gonna go take you to spend times in Samaria. Oh, it's a morality thing that you have going on. It's an ethics thing that you have going on. Even the woman caught in the act of adultery, I will remind her that she is worthy, that the starting point of this story is that you are good, that you are worthy, that you are accepted for exactly who you are and where you are in this moment. And that when you can begin that journey, then you can go do the deeper work. In the early church, we talked about this a lot of times in here, there was a process called theosis. And theosis was simply this reality that you already made in the image of God and that you are already good. But the work of following Jesus is exactly that. That as you follow Jesus, you will move into the likeness of God. There's always areas for us to grow, to mature, to become more whole and more integrated. And that's the thing that Jesus invites us into. Even this story is that we begin, once we begin accept the reality that we're celebrated, now we can go do some work in a different way. So I just want to introduce a couple things maybe that can work their way into your stories that may provide perspective for you. The first that I always love to come to is simply Gratitude. Can you thank God for the things that you have in your life right now? You will want what you have. No, you will have what you want. No, I'm already messed up my own quote. Let's go, we're going to get there. You will want what you have when you have what you want. Is that it? Man, this is my sponsor speaking in my life right now, and I need my sponsor in my life right now. You'll have what you want when you want what you have. There you go. Man, that is so good. Talk about, this is, if anyone listening and they're like, man, how do you kill a sermon midway through? This is exactly how you do it. You don't know your own quotes. The reality of it is this, though, is that when we begin to have what we want, we'll we'll want what we have. And that's where I'm at in my life. I think that's where so many of us are, is can I be grateful for the things that are actually present in front of me? Or am I always going to be looking out there that the grass is greener on the other side and that's the thing that's going to fix me and that's the thing that's going to satisfy and that the, that's the thing that's going to make me happy? Or can I simply practice gratitude? After you've worked your way of practicing gratitude and thanking God for the things that are in front of you every single time, then maybe you can begin to expand and ask some different questions about are these things working for you? That might be different. But begin with a place of gratitude in your life. Something else that I think about a lot is how do we have boundaries? that boundaries are indeed healthy for us. That not every narrative that people are giving you out there is actually working for your life. That many of you have been given narratives that you need to say no thank you to. That you need to politely not allow those people into your life to speak into your life whenever you want. And we're all the products of social media so there are thousands of people offering us narratives in our life all the time and we're not even asking the questions of does this narrative work for me. We are inundated with content and information. There are people in your life, there are pastors in your life, there are leaders in your life who are telling something about you. And one of the things that I'm so proud of New Abbey is this. We do not want you to come here so that I can be your new authority. I am not your new Bible answer man. I do not have all of the answers for your life. I want you to come here so that you can learn that God's authority is already in you and it is your job to go discover that. It is your job to be empowered. It is your job to take ownership for your life. I do not pretend that I'm gonna have a sermon that works for every single one of you, which is why we always end with a question so that you can ask, how does this apply to me? How can I take this with me? What's something new I can remind myself of today? I don't wanna tell you stories about my life. I want you to think about your life. That's the thing that we're interested in here. We're trying to tell as many bigger, broader stories as possible so that we can engage with our humanity in a different way. The great theologian, Howard Thurman, tells the story about his grandmother who grew up in slavery. And when she grew up in slavery in the South, that she lived on a plantation where the master would not even allow the preachers to come and tell them the gospel in any way because he didn't want the slaves to be empowered. And the few times that the master would allow a preacher to come, the preacher would always read from the Apostle Paul and tell the slaves to be thankful that they were slaves and to honor their masters. And this woman in slavery would tell herself, if there is a day that I become free, I will never read the Apostle Paul again. And there was a day that she became free. And Howard Thurman was her grandson. And she was illiterate and never learned to read. And Howard Thurman would tell stories about showing up to his grandmother's house. And she would say to me, read from the Psalms for me, Howard. Read Proverbs for me, Howard. Read the gospel of Jesus for me, Howard. But you never read me the Apostle Paul. That if it's not working for you, even in the scripture, you don't have to read it. If the context doesn't make sense for you, you can let that thing go right now. Trust that God will be okay with that. That's a sensational thing for some pastors to say in a church, but it's true. And how do I know that? Jesus talked this way. Jesus was always saying to people, you have heard it said. You've heard the preacher say, the scripture say, the Pharisees say, the Sadducees say. You've heard the Hillsong song. You heard him say it. (laughs) But I say unto you. And so if it doesn't work for you, you can let the thing go. That doesn't mean there won't be a day that you can pick it up again. That doesn't mean that you might understand it in a different way, but there might be trauma and pain in your life in which you cannot touch that thing, and that is good for you. You don't have to go to Thanksgiving dinners anymore if you don't want to. As my mentor told me for so long, I don't even want to hang out with these people on a Tuesday, so why am I giving them Thanksgiving and Christmas? It's a good point. I wanna be with the people who I love and who I celebrate and celebrate me, and I'm gonna work the other stuff out with the other stuff. But I'm gonna choose people in my life that remind me of the stories that are most true about who I am, and because I'm a good human being, I'm gonna be with human beings who I remind them about the true stories of who they are. And if they don't fit into that, totally okay. God bless and God speed. It is not your job to control it. So if we can pick up some gratitude and if we can pick up some boundaries. I also think that we have the ability to pick up some new habits. That for many of us, the first habit starts with exactly where we began. That can you be reminded that you are worthy and that you are good? There's a bunch of work to even get you to that starting line. There's a bunch of work to even deal with all that's going on there. But now, how do you introduce new things? How do you begin to change the language of who you are so that you can begin to change some actions so that you can begin to change some habits? Now when we talk about habits, it's really difficult. When I do coaching, I tell people this. If you wanna change a habit so you're completely transformed from who you are today to a 100% transformation in a year, that means you got 52 weeks in the year, and that means you need to make a 1.87% change per week. Sounds a little bit more doable all of a sudden. Now, when you're thinking about what these things are, you might say to yourself, well, if what I, want to, I just want to run a marathon in a year. Great, well, today you're not going to go run 26 miles. You're going to go divide that thing up and say, today for the first week to hit my 1.87% of change that I want to make, I'm going to walk two times for a half a mile. That habits take a while to change. That if the narrative that I have inside of me is that I am this way because of my mother, or I am this way because of so and so, then I begin to change a habit today that says, What if today I just try to catch myself one time this week living into that victim language? What if I just make one habit this week that changes my economic situation? What if I just make one language change in me this week that changes that narrative that is no longer serving me? That what I love about Jesus is that Jesus is not trying to do magic. He never tried to do magic with us. Somewhere in evangelicalism, which, by the way, side note on evangelicalism, this thing's like 100 years old, people, right? So we just live in the world of evangelicals where we think this is the theology that the world's always known. No, it's a theology that we've only known because evangelical Americans were the most powerful and rich people on planet Earth that we've ever seen. They just happened to be in a time and place in history where they could print the Bible, send the Bible, and evangelize the rest of the world because they had the money to do so. And their theology is like not that much older than 100 years. It's, It's pretty new. And so there's a much more robust narrative out there for you, even of your faith. There's a bigger version of Christianity out there. So whenever people come to me, like, I'm deconstructing that thing, and I can no longer say to that yes to that thing. I'm like, of course you can't, because it's 100 years old, and that was your youth pastor, Chad. <laughs> I would say no to that, too. He didn't know what he was talking about. He was 21, and you were 18. This guy could barely read. So even though Kenneth Copeland said it loudly doesn't mean you have to accept it. Like move on with your life and choose some new things. That didn't land on everybody for the few of you that it did. It's great. (laughs) There's a bunch of ancient wisdom and stories and narratives out there for you that have worked for thousands and millions and billions of people over time. And there's goodness and wisdom in a lot of them. That Christianity and the faith that we follow is beautiful and robust and it has a space for you. If you don't find stories for you in the version of Jesus that you know of, trust that they are out there. Trust that there's a story out there and a leader out there and somebody who's gone through what you're going through and they have wisdom for you. So would you have some gratitude for where you're at, for the good things that God does have in front of you? Simply starting with the fact that you're here today and you're breathing today and this is the life that God has given you. And you can choose to live with the perspective that there are a bunch of bumpy roads and that you are a victim and it's everyone else's fault. Or today you can take ownership for your own narrative and you can begin to tell yourself a different story. And I know those are strong words and I know there's systems of oppression. I know there's a lot of other things and I take all of that seriously. And at the same time, your narrative has to work for you. No one else will make it work for you. Choose some boundaries Say no to some things. Say yes to some things. Be open to what God may be doing. And feel free to tell other people, that's just not for me anymore. And trust that it's okay. And would you pick up some new habits? You don't have to make all of the changes today. But would you begin at a starting line that you're already good and that you're already worthy and that you're already made in the image of God and God has different things for you, but only you can choose that. I'm thankful for you, New Abby. I'm thankful that I believe that this is not just a sermon that we give up here and we just say some words and then we like are playing church on a Sunday because that would be awful. I'm grateful that when I look around this room that there are people that I know in the space that you're doing those things. That Joseph Rivas, you teach me about gratitude all of the time. That my wife has been the biggest gift in teaching me about new habits and a new way of living. But I can look all around this room and just see people who are choosing things and expanding their narrative and not allowing themselves to be, live in victimhood when many of you are real victims. So thank you, New Abbey, that we get to do this together, that we get to heal together, that we get to transform together. And I'm excited for what God has for us. If you find the same three or four people and answer this question with one another, how can you practice telling yourself a different story? You, ah, another. Day. <laughs>